This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Friday afternoon, June 2nd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour as the uh, Taylor Swift fans line up at Soldier Field. I'm Rob Hart. Dress standards have dropped during the pandemic, but it can still impact success at work. We'll discuss some of the do's and don'ts at our next thing. But right now, the government jobs report for May leads today's data. We're joined by Brian Westbury, chief economist, first trust advisors in Wheaton. Brian, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Non-farm payrolls increasing by 339,000 in the month of May. Brian, that's at 200,000 jobs more than the Dow Jones estimate. So that labor market continues rocking and rolling. Yes, it does, Rob. And, you know, if you look at uh, the forecasters out there, like you just pointed to, uh, almost everybody was way, way, way too low. And uh, yet, and and there are some people that will say, whoa, a strong job market, that means the Federal Reserve is going to lift interest rates, which you think would be bad for stocks. And yet here we are with uh, the Dow up 660 points today. So let me dig in uh, just a little bit, because that 339,000 is the headline number. It's what we get when we survey establishments. These are companies and uh, not-for-profits and government company uh, institutions that that were are, have been in the survey for a long time. We also have a, a different survey where we actually knock on people's doors and ask them if they are employed or not. And that number fell 310,000 this month. It's the biggest dichotomy between those two ways of measuring employment that we've seen ever. Um, And at the same time, wages uh, only rose 0.3% in uh, the month of April. And so, uh, or in the month of May, excuse me. And, And that's giving people a belief that the Federal Reserve is not going to raise rates. In other words, wage pressures are lower. Some of the job report was a little weaker than that headline. So the real reason the market is up today is because people think the Fed is done raising interest rates. And that discrepancy between the household survey number and the headline number, uh, some analysts have attributed to the fact that you have people who might have been uh, self-employed or independent contractors uh, as a result of COVID or just as a result of the pre-COVID economic model who are now on someone's payroll again. That's exactly right. As service companies open up, restaurants, bars, you know, I mean, I know this has been going on um, uh, for a long time. They were short of labor, uh, but now people are giving up on those smaller businesses and heading to the more established companies. So that can cause that to happen as well. 
What's interesting is that wages aren't growing uh, as fast as inflation. That's a sign to the Fed that the inflationary pressures are beginning to wane. Uh, and, and people, uh, you know, it, it, the market, I think, all comes down to the Fed. Is it going to raise interest rates or not? And what the market is saying today is it's not. Here's my worry. And that is that uh, that because the Fed has raised interest rates, because the Fed has squeezed the money supply, that we might end up with a weaker uh, economy in the future. And that some of this hiring is labor hoarding because it was so hard to find work uh, workers uh, for so, so many months. And now companies are going, oh, there's a chance we'll get them. And then if things slow down, uh, which they are in retail, uh, then you're going to see some layoffs in the future. So, But right now, it's, uh, it, it, it's utopia, and the market loves it today because the Fed's probably done raising rates. Brian Westbury, Chief Economist, First Trust Advisors in Wheaton. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, making sure you're dressed for success. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. The pandemic has impacted the workplace in multiple ways, including the way people dress. Let's talk about current standards with Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern, based in Chicago. Rick, thank you for joining us today. And let's focus this conversation on people who are just graduating from college. You know, you're your son or daughter is back home. They're going out on job interviews for their first for real career type job, not uh, working behind a counter or at a country club. And that means you have to raise your game when it comes to what you wear in that job interview. Absolutely. So if you think about the college environment, when I was in school and it's still the case, there is a culture that exists and you make a statement about who you are and what matters to you based on what you wear, whether it's your favorite band t-shirt or, you know, your football team's uh, colors, et cetera. Those are statements you make. It takes, psychologists will, will tell you it takes seven seconds to make a first impression. So before you go out into the market as a new grad or somebody in general just looking uh, for work, you have to think about what that, what statement are you making to the people that you would talk to? And because Changing someone's opinion, their first impression, once they've made one of you, in the, in the most benign of situations, you're still swimming upstream. And once once somebody's informed an impression, it's very hard to change it. And, so and, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you're also, in, in, for a lot of people, uh, you have a little bit of a baked-in advantage for uh, job interviews, especially if you're coming out of uh, college or even if you are in college and you're going on interviews as a student. Because I know in my experience, a suit that I purchased at Marshall Fields for a high school dance uh, got a lot of use as a job interview suit when I was in college. And then another suit that I bought from Fields for my college graduation got a great deal of use in the first couple of years of my professional life. Sure. And, and that's the point is that you need to put that on. I think it's a struggle for parents when you have very well-educated uh, children going into the market. And we are, at that age, we are somewhat idealistic, typically. We want to make a statement. When I used to have hair, it was pretty long, and my dad didn't like it. it was, and it was an implied statement of how I wanted to be different. Yet in the market, when you're out there, you're trying to make the best possible, possible impression. And so you have to think about what, what does that person look like? And if I was with my children are older now, but I would say, let's go to the mall and walk around 
and let's just look at people and guess what they do for a living. And that's a great way to show people what implicit bias is. Oh, that person's a doctor, that person's a mechanic, that person owns a Dairy Queen. You're probably wrong most of the time, but you have an implicit bias. And so you want to coach uh, young people going out of the market. You don't have to change who you are, but you do need to look a little bit like somebody who would work in that company in order to be considered. Now, when I was coming up uh, in broadcasting, I mean, my kind of North Star uh, it, when it came to dress was Tom Brokaw. And mm-hmm. but that but that's different for a lot of other industries, especially now where if you're coming up in tech, you know, and the ethos is uh, move fast and break things. And, you know, the, the, sure. the tech CEO is a is a guy who wears shorts and a T-shirt and barely wears shoes and is seen as some sort of disruptive genius. How do you square the fact that you have to look professional with the fact that the kind of the, some leaders in business uh, uh, thrive on not looking professional? Sure. Well, first of all, you haven't earned the right to be the CEO, so you don't dress like them. But you typically understand the culture of the industry that you're looking at, and you try to go maybe, you know, 10 to 15 percent above the median. Say, okay, if everybody's wearing T-shirts and jeans, I might come in with a collared shirt. Uh, You know, same thing in banking. If everybody's coming in, if it's a if it's a if it's a suit and tie environment, I might come in with a suit with no tie. I might come in with a sport coat and a tie. But, you know, that's your so you you err on the side of being conservative, but not completely out of bounds. You don't walk in in a full tuxedo to a uh, to an opportunity where nobody's ever going to don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, but <laughs> it, it never hurts to try. Uh, Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm to discern based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, Volkswagen is rebooting its 60s era VW bus. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM noon business hour continues. Volkswagen is updating a classic vehicle with some modern touches. Let's get the details from John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv based in Detroit. John, thank you for joining us today. And VW is bringing back the 1960s microbus updated for the 2020s. That's exactly right, Rob. I mean, you know, most people will know it better as the hippie bus from the, the 60s, but they, they've definitely updated it. This is going to be all electric. Uh, they just unveiled the three-row version of it here in the United States. It was actually launched in Europe with the two-row version last year. And, of course, Volkswagen is hoping this really puts the brand back on the map in the American market. Now, I know the the, the microbus is associated with the 60s, but uh, as, as a kid who grew up in the 80s, uh, the Volkswagen Vanagon was a, a big part of the urban and suburban uh, transportation infrastructure. If you're getting a ride from someone, uh, they probably had a, a VW Vanagon, uh, which was like the 80s version of the microbus. So, but is that part of the, the appeal now of electric vehicles? They've mastered the technology, and they're going to make people more comfortable with the idea of owning an electric car or enticing them to buy one by putting an electric engine inside a retro design that brings back all sorts of memories. You just nailed it. I couldn't say it better myself. That's exactly what they're hoping to do is capture the nostalgia of people who had Vanagans or the the transporter, the microbus before that, and uh, hopefully get them to consider the VW brand again. Uh, Volkswagen almost invented the minivan segment. It was there way before the Chrysler minivan came out, for example. And uh, they're hoping that this is really going to kickstart their effort 
to getting people into electric cars in the U.S. market. What is Volkswagen's market share in the U.S.? Because when they you see them around town, I mean, people have Passats and people have the SUVs. And uh, 25 years ago, when they reintroduced the, uh, the bug, uh, that took America by storm. It did. Uh, it, it didn't have legs, you know, that the, the bug is out of production right now. It only did well in the American market. It never sold that well in Europe. I couldn't quote off the top of my head what Volkswagen's market share is in the U.S., but it's not very big. I mean, VW's heyday, its, its best sales year in the United States was something like 1974, 1975. And they were the number one import brand in America at that time, ahead of Toyota and Honda and everybody else. So they really would like to get back strong in the U.S. market, especially because the European market is extremely weak right now. And VW is actually losing sales in China. So it's one hope for growth at this moment is in the U.S. And that's why they decided to, with a big splash uh, yesterday, announce the three-row version of uh, the ID Buzz, which is what they're calling this van. John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, a woman making her mark in the field of architecture. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. President Biden will address the nation tonight about the passing of a compromised debt ceiling bill. A major bank is dealing with technical difficulties today. It's Entrepreneur Friday. We meet a woman who's taken a family architecture business and made it her own. Amazon considers launching a mobile phone service and telecom stocks fall. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 688 points. The NASDAQ is up 148. And the S&P 500 is up 64. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. President Biden will address the nation tonight about the bipartisan budget and debt ceiling package agreement that averted a default. CBS News congressional reporter Zach Hudak tells us a last-minute sideline agreement preceded the 63-36 to 36 Senate vote that sent the measure to the president's desk for his signature. A number of Senate defense hawks went to Senate leader Chuck Schumer and said, we have a problem here. This mm. is going to make cuts to defense spending that are just too large, particularly with everything going on in Ukraine, where Ukraine is getting ready for a counteroffensive on Russia. We cannot make these cuts. So in order to push it through, Chuck Schumer agreed he will make sure that a standalone defense spending bill comes to the floor this summer. Hudak also says any standalone defense measure in the Senate would still need approval in the House, where it would likely face significant challenges.
services. Chase Bank says it's working to fix a bug in its online banking system. Customers have been reporting that their rent or bill payments were taken out of their accounts twice and reporting hold times with customer service approaching more than an hour. The bank says it will automatically reverse any duplicate transactions and adjust any related fees. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks are trading sharply higher today. We're joined by Matt Shapiro, President, MWS Capital, based in Chicago. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Is this a a pent-up relief rally we're seeing on Wall Street today? It is, Rob. I mean, you know, just today, incredible rally, up 680 points in the Dow, S&P 500, just everything is up. We're now at one-year highs, back to the highs we had in that relief rally last summer. We've now entered a new bull market. We've already had that in the NASDAQ, new bull market in the S&P 500 by various measurements. And today, the other thing people don't realize, the only thing that had been going up this year had been those top technology stocks. The Dow had been flat, the average stock flat, Russell 2000, small caps, mid caps, uh, bonds not really doing much. Finally, massive relief rally. As you said, that divergence between growth and value had hit a historical high. So you wonder if, you know, AI positioned funds or whatever had pressed the Dow kind of style stocks, the fundamental stocks, the value stocks so much expecting a recession, which of course is clearly not here, and now all the fundamental stuff rising so strong along with the growth in NASDAQ. It's also interesting to note that uh, as the debt ceiling drama was playing out, uh, the markets were playing it cool. Uh, they, 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 were, they were not in panic mode. They seemed to believe that uh, a deal would be reached before the default deadline. And there, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, there was a, a, a slight sell-off during the week as the, uh, the, the, the two chambers of the legislative branch uh, debated this bill. But once the Senate gave its blessing last night and it appeared that, uh, and, and it was certainly going to President Biden's desk for his signature, uh, all of that kind of wait-and-see attitude was thrown to the wind. Yeah, it really, I think it caught actually the market quite surprised because there was a lot of stress in the U.S. Treasury market where short-term rates are far higher in U.S. Treasuries than the Federal Reserve target rate. So people were concerned, you know, about some sort of default. And it came together so quickly. And what was remarkable, uh, you know, not to talk politics, but was sort of pitched earlier in the week as a Republican win by the time it got to the Senate, and the votes ended up almost being like the Democratic side uh, was more enthusiastic about it. So I think that takeaway of a sweeping victory for everybody, I suppose, in, in Washington was really helpful. And actually, the fact that spending is going to be relatively under control over the next few years, which is one of the main drivers of inflation. So, you know, finally helping the Fed is another significant factor to put a leg into this market. Now, when you talk to a lot of financial analysts or economists, they always try, some try to find the dark cloud and the silver lining and always point to some sort of threat that's over the horizon. But here are some of the words I've heard today about the jobs report. Uh, one one of them from you was the, the Goldilocks jobs report, the Goldilocks economy. Uh, someone else referred to it as utopia. You don't hear these types of superlatives about data every day. Uh, no, you don't. And, you know, it's human nature to be skeptical. Uh, I think the market has been driven by skepticism for a long, long time. 
Um, obviously, last year, inflation and interest rates were a major problem. Interest rates, by the way, are still a major problem because what it seems like, Rob, is that interest the yield curve is going to kind of be inverted. I don't want to talk uh, technically, but there's, there's no sign that the Fed is really going to lower interest rates materially. So you have, you know, as I said earlier, this 90s-style potentially economy with prevailingly higher rates but stocks and the economy and employment doing really well. So it's a big sea change, something we haven't seen, you know, since many people weren't even investing. And there's been a great deal of progress on the inflation front. Uh, the Fed's target is 2%. They're still well above that. And here's the point where you have to start, uh, if you're the Fed, drilling through bedrock to get to that goal. And is that still a, a major concern or is that something where you can kind of shift it to the back burner now? It is an absolute concern. I mean, you know, even though we're all enthusiastic about the market, we need to get this yield curve in line and get, uh, you know, price growth down. And there really is no sign. We've sort of stabilized at 4%. Um, you know, people are doing well. And, you know, the economy is doing well. Construction is happening. The, 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 the Federal Reserve rate increases haven't really hit the economy like they used to in the past. But at the same time, there has to be a resolution of the inflation and get it down towards the Fed rate. So that is still going to be a problem for the market. Uh, over the next year. And then very quickly, and this is what's remarkable about uh, the trajectory of job growth and the labor force participation rate, is that it, based on some analysis, uh, we're now ahead of, uh, we're ahead of the pre-COVID pace now. We are. The nominal economy is far larger. Uh, the economy adjusted even for inflation and rising prices is larger. Um, we have, of course, this potential technological revolution of AI, who knows, or, you know, electric vehicles are so popular. And the revolution in lifestyles, that work-life balance, people taking it easy a little bit on a Friday. So I think with today's big rally, I think everyone can take uh, a little pat on the back that we're all doing pretty good better than people thought earlier than the year. It is indeed a feel-good Friday. Matt Shapiro, President, MWS Capital, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, taking over a family business and pushing it to new heights. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're venturing in the new territory for us into the field of architecture. We welcome in Diane Melikar, President and Founder of Melikar Architects based in Lake Forest. Diana, thank Thank you for joining us today. Before we talk about how you went into business for yourself and bought this firm 30 years ago, what was what sparked your love of architecture? Oh my gosh, I loved architecture from childhood, so it was just a passion of mine and I've always followed my dream. And did you grow up in the Chicago area? Because obviously, if you grew up in Chicago, there's just a, a wealth of masterpieces on display from uh, all sorts of you know, many different eras of architecture. Oh, yes, I did grow up in the Chicago area. So I was fortunate to enjoy all of the different you know eras of, of architecture. And then... And when we talk about architecture and, and just what an architecture business is, I mean, if you want to build something, uh, the, the, your first stop or maybe your second stop is the architect's office. So you know, when, when, when you try to serve a client's needs, whether it's a home or a business, where do you begin? 
Well, the client always has a need and he always has a problem. And so what we're trying to do is solve that problem for them and do it in a beautiful way um, where they, you know, they're making a huge investment in, in whatever they're doing, whether it's a facility or a home or whatever. And so the goal is to get something that works really well for them um, that's beautiful and it functions and it's just great, you know, outcome for their investment. And then how much of a partner is the architecture firm along the way? I mean, are, are you are you creating a, a building with a budget or materials or, or zoning rules in mind? <laughs> I have to laugh. Everybody has a budget. <laughs> yeah. So you always work with the budget first. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of zoning and rules and regulations and things. But um, Rob, it does, it takes a village really to build a building. So you start with the architect um, and we're sort of the orchestra leader for uh, contractors, helping the homeowner all along the way to make it a really fun process, you know, and, and in the end, getting um, what they're desiring and hopefully even more than that, exceeding their expectations. And and you have owned a firm for 30 years. Uh, you bought out uh, two brothers who founded this firm in 1963. What was it like for you uh, to make the leap from uh, architect to architectural firm owner? Well, you have to wear a lot of hats when you're the owner, right? When you start out and you're the architect, you're, you're mostly designing. And when you become the owner, suddenly you're you're looking at marketing, you're looking at management, you're looking at... Um, and, you know, as well as design. And then on top of that, uh, you know, you're, you're breaking, uh, you know, gender barriers, too, because there are not very many women in the field of architecture. True. The, the, a, the American Institute of Architects says that about 17% of the architectural firms are owned by women. Um, but I find that women are real uh, consensus makers, and we're really good at organizing. Like I said, we've got um, clients, we've got engineers, we've got landscape architects. There's a whole sort of, um, you know, we're sort of the umbrella for all these people that we're coordinating because we're doing pretty complex projects. And is this simply a case that uh, there, there's just not very, not very many people in architectural schools or engineering schools saying like, yeah, women can do this too? <laughs> I'm not sure. I feel as though I've been a trailblazer over the years, but um I've just enjoyed what I've done, and I'm passionate about it. So I really don't think much about the sex portion of it, of that I'm a female. I mean, I was going to say, like, anybody can walk down the streets of Chicago and uh, look up at a, a, a Mies van der Rohe building and just be, uh, you know, blown away by the design and the, and the, and the simplicity of it. Yeah, yeah, so true. Um, I would say that if people look at buildings, there's always some detail that is, beautiful in some way and materials and we try to make really beautiful buildings that are statements for our clients is there a building in the chicago area that uh, you designed that you're especially proud of oh gosh well we really love ferrari lake forest um that project is something that we we were able to support the client and he's got these beautiful beautiful pieces of art that happen to be high-performance sports cars. <laughs> so how do we show that in a, in a beautiful way? And so that was one of our favorite projects. And then uh, lastly, and, and there may not be a right answer, but uh, what's your favorite kind of buttress? <laughs> one on Notre Dame Cathedral. How's that? 
Okay, well, you know, the, the flying ones are always the best. Uh, Diana <laughs> Melikar, president and founder of Melikar Architects in Lake Forest. Thank you for joining us today. Still to come, Amazon considers launching a mobile phone service and the stock market reacts. It's Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Amazon is talking about the possibility of launching a low-cost mobile service for its Prime members. It's already impacting markets. Let's get the latest from Nick Ray. CEO of the Earnings Scout in Cleveland, the website EarningScout.com. Nick, thank you for joining us today. Uh, the markets already believe this could be a game changer. Will the technology match the promise? It very well could. Uh, it depends on who Amazon will partner with. And uh, some of those rumors are that it'll partner with Dish Network uh, to po- potentially offer this uh, low-cost uh, service. And it would be at the detriment of uh, AT&T and Verizon, for sure. And how would this work? I mean, you're you're an Amazon Prime member, and, and would would it be tied to a particular piece of uh, equipment? I, I would wonder how they would do that, and how they would sync it up with your phones to to try to do that, uh, to try to get the carrier on. But I'm sure Amazon will figure it out. The details uh, probably are, aren't unveiled yet, since we don't even know who they were partner with. But we do know this: that if Amazon does go this route, um, they kill businesses. Uh, they They've killed malls. They've killed retailers. They've killed grocery stores. They 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 uh they're a formidable foe. But they, I mean, this really is kind of a would be a clash of the titans in the uh, in the telecom space because uh, Verizon, AT and T, T Mobile. I mean, they're some of the biggest companies in America. So it's it, it's it's much. It, it's you know you clearly we're talking about businesses that may be too big to fail. In in some ways, yes. Um, and the barriers to entry to break in to, to take away market share from Verizon and AT&T really hasn't been there in, in decades. So this would be something new. Um, it's still too early to know that it will work for Amazon. But nevertheless, the stocks are anticipating some of the market share will be taken away from Amazon or from uh, AT&T, Verizon uh, and the likes. And that's why their stocks are trading lower today. Now, Amazon uh, has taken some swings at the ball before in the mobile category. Almost a decade ago, it had its Fire Phone, and then it it disappeared from the marketplace. Is this a case of Amazon learning its lesson? It's possible, but I think Amazon at the time reshifted focus onto delivery and Prime and into other warehouses and building out the like. So um, I don't think Amazon spread itself too thin, but just with the resources it has, if Amazon wants to undertake this endeavor, it would be hard to bet against them. Nick Raish, CEO of the Earnings Scout in Cleveland, the website EarningScout.com. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. 
Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.